Wow, thank you so much for having me back. Brian, thanks for inviting me again. It's great to come back every summer, see old friends, meet the new petite baby that comes every year. And uh, I'm so excited what is going on here. And uh, I was, was able to be here for the building dedication in February. That was just fantastic. And then to be able to preach here. Uh, is great, so thank you. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, some of you may not know, I'm on sabbatical from my church this summer, uh, which has been really great to be able to get uh, rest and did some travel and just a lot of time with family, um, as, especially as my oldest daughter is going off to college this fall, and it's been really, it's been a great summer. But of course, a sabbatical is more than just an extended vacation, Right? It is a time to rest, yes, but it's a time really to, for me, it has been to unplug. I got off email, got off social media, don't miss them either of them, um, and to unplug and get away from a lot of those responsibilities. This can sometimes feel like 24-7 thing, burden, right? Um, and it's also a time really to be renewed. Um, especially for those in ministry. I mean, a lot of different professionals take sabbaticals. But for those in ministries, to be renewed in your relationship with God and uh, to be strengthened for the next season of ministry. And that's how I've tried to, to structure the sabbatical. Um, and I think sabbaticals are important for ministry, uh, for people in full-time ministry, because ministry can be very difficult. And burnout in the church is common. Um, but it's not new. I don't think it's new. In fact, I think you can see it in the Gospels, in the New Testament. In John chapter 21, we see a man who is really at, I, I think, a crossroads and maybe even showing some signs of, of being burned out in ministry. We see Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, um, closest disciples. He had walked with Jesus for three years, watched him teach, heal people. Then he watched him get betrayed, be arrested, be put to death, and then come back to life and appear to him. Um, and, and where you might think, well, that not that all these disciples needed, right? Isn't that what Peter needed? Jesus here. Let's go out and do ministry. Let's go share the word. But it doesn't happen right away. And we find Peter in, in John chapter 21, really, I think, in a, in a kind of a disoriented place. He, is, uh, he, he seems unsure of himself and of, of the world and what's, what's real and what's true. And maybe he's in the midst of burnout. Maybe he's just so filled with regret and questions from the past that he's having a hard time move, moving forward. And so what Peter does is he goes back to what he knows. And what he knows is fishing. So that's what he does. That's something I can do. And so we pick up this story in John chapter 21. Let's, why don't we stand for this reading of God's word. Um, we're going to start in chapter, in, uh, excuse me, with verse 3. Um, verse 2 tells us that seven of the disciples, of the twelve disciples, were together. 
And, uh, and in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is truly the word of God. Please be seated. So this is the... This is the third time that Jesus appears to the disciples after he's been resurrected, raised from the dead. But you notice, they don't recognize him right away. We're told it's the dawn is coming, maybe it's still dark. Maybe, maybe it's one of those times where the people just don't recognize Jesus for whatever reason. And they don't until Jesus does a classic Jesus move, Right? He, he talks to these professional fishermen who've been out all night fishing, haven't caught anything. And what does he say? Throw, them out, throw out your nets on the other side of the boat. You know, I, I know you've thrown the nets out 500 times over the night, but one more time. You can just imagine the, the disciples, right? Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, oh, that side of the boat. That's where the fish, oh, the water over here wasn't where the fish like that side. But they do it, right? They throw the nets out, and of course, the nets get full of fish. And, uh, and John is the one who recognizes, realizes it's Jesus that's done this, right? And then Peter, what's his reaction? He, we're told he throws himself into the sea. Now, why does he do that? Well, that's Peter, right? That's his personality. He gets fired up about stuff. He's the guy that's going to run to the battle, right? 
And he realizes that this miracle's happening. He realizes it's Jesus. And he jumps in. And I think there's also maybe something else going on here. Um, and something in Jesus and Peter's history. Because if you remember, if you've read the other Gospels, back in the beginning of Luke, Luke's Gospel, he tells a story just like this. But this is the first time when Jesus goes down to the beach and he sees and meets these disciples for the first time. And, and Peter and some of the others have been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. And Jesus gets on the boat and he says, let's set out for the deep. Now throw your nets out. And they do and they catch so much that the nets are breaking. And then he tells them, you remember what he tells them? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I have to think that Peter, some part of him, connected with what just happened. I'm guessing there was a hope in Peter that Jesus, this is how he started our relationship and started this crazy journey that we've been on. What's he going to do now? And we're going to see there's maybe some restoration that needed to take place with Peter. But he's, he seems to be ready. And uh, so he dives in. And, and in fact, that's, this is exactly what Jesus is doing, right? He's renewing relationship, renewing a call. But first, first they have to have a conversation, don't they? So the disciples all get to shore. Jesus already has a fire going. He's already got fish somehow. And he feeds them breakfast. And when they finish breakfast, he has a pointed conversation with Peter. And he asks him three times, do you love me? Now, we could get into, Thomas, we could get into the Greek words here. I know there's a couple different words for the Greek words that go back and forth. I'm not going to get into all that because I'm not sure how much it adds to this conversation. Um, but basically... It's the same, it's basically the same question three times. Do you love me? And, and when Peter affirms, yes, I love you, Lord, Jesus gives him a calling. Right? He gives him a commandment. He says, to feed and to tend my sheep. Now, can we all agree that this is a metaphor? Feed my sheep? Um, I'll never forget when we, right after we started this church, a couple years in, we decided to uh, do the old school um, picture directory. This was, you know, years after any other church was still doing a picture directory. We decided we were going to do it, right? It was going to be fun. And, and so we, we got everybody to come and get their picture taken. And some of the college students thought, well, this would be kind of fun. And so they, they actually got this plaid shirt and had like five different guys wear that shirt in their pictures. And Ha ha. So, but everybody gets a, a page to your, you know, to your family or to you, and you get the picture, and then you can write your own description of what you want people to know about you. You get to know people that way, right? Very first page of the directory, the A's, Jeremiah Allen. Jeremiah says about himself, after college, I'm going to become a shepherd. Not a pastor, an actual shepherd. Smart Alec. But can we agree 
that Jesus is using metaphorical language here. He's not putting Peter out to pasture with woolly animals, right? He is he's calling, he's asking Peter to, t- uh, Peter to take care of people. To, to take care of his people, right? Everyone that has, who's a part of this new community that Jesus is forming, the church. But we, that, we need to ask the question then, what does that mean to feed and to tend the sheep? What does that mean? To be, what well, we, we may sometimes hear, to be a shepherd of the sheep. Well, let me ask you this question. This may seem out of left field, but we'll, we'll bring it around, I promise. Um, what do great movies have in common? Don't answer this, Doug. Uh, I think one thing that great movies have in common is that they communicate visually, as much visually in what they show you as in with words and what they tell you, with dialogue or narration, right? Because film is a visual medium, and so the great directors have figured out how to communicate through the way that they frame people and actions. And, as, and they often tell much more of the story by the visuals than through the actual words that are said. And, and there's a similar dynamic that is going on in this story that we just read. Jesus certainly speaks words and says what he would like for them to do, but we also learn a lot by what Jesus does, by watching him. Jesus is our visual clue for how and what it means to feed and to tend the sheep. And the first thing he does is is very obvious, right? He feeds them, literally, right? He, He feeds them breakfast. He takes care of their physical needs. They've been out all night fishing. They're hungry. And so part of what Doing ministry in the church is take care of physical needs. That's, right? We are, we are bodies and souls. We need to take care of the poor and those who are needy, right? The second thing that Jesus does is he's teaching them to trust and obey his word, right? I know you've gone out. I know you've been throwing that net, but one more, throw one more time. Trust me. And they do it. And so part of feeding and tending to the sheep is teaching the word of God. Teaching you to obey all of Jesus' commandments. Teaching them to trust his voice. But then, I think what we really see at the heart of this passage is Jesus sacrificially loving those who don't deserve it. Particular Peter. And so I think the essence, and we're going we're to unpack that in a moment, but the essence of Jesus' call to Peter to feed my sheep, tend my sheep, is this. And, and, and thus to everyone who would do Christian ministry in some form or fashion, I don't mean just pastors and missionaries, but everyone who's a Christian, uh, is to do this, to love people well for Jesus' sake. That is the essence of this call that Jesus is giving to Peter and to the church, to love people well for Jesus' sake. Now, the obvious question is, how do we do that practically? Well, again, 
I think Jesus shows us how to do this practically um, by his actions here and by his encounter with Peter and, and somewhat by his words. And the first thing, uh, to, to love people well, we need to destroy our false selves. What do I mean by that, our false selves? Well, I, I, think, I think you know intuitively the difference between your true self and your false self, right? The true self is, is who you really are for the good, the bad, the ugly, right? The false self is that image that you would like to project to try to impress people, right? Um, you know, my false self is that I'm this totally secure guy who has his stuff together, my true self, though, is ah, sometimes I'm confident and sometimes I'm super anxious that you're not going to accept me and you're not going to really like me. And I'm scared I won't get your approval. That's my, that's my true self. And, and if, you know, if you really want to know the difference between true and false self, go on Facebook, right? Go on Instagram. I'm not saying everybody's fake on there, but... I mean, kind of, right? There's a lot of false selves being put out there. This is who I want you to see me as. And it really keeps us at arm's length from one another when we do that, don't we? There are really, I think there are two instances in these verses where Jesus is calling people to, to throw off their false selves, to destroy their false selves. And, and inhabit who they are. The first one is the, in verse 5 when he asks the disciples, he says, what have you caught? Right? Actually, he says, children, do you have any fish? Interesting. Kind of a, a it's, I don't think it's a condescending term there, but more of a, a loving. My children, what, what have you caught? And he asks them the question, which is interesting. He knows they haven't caught anything, right? And that's an interesting question because you see that over and over in the Gospels and in the Bible. Jesus asking questions that he knows the answer to. Right? And he asks the woman at the well, where's your husband? He knows the answer. God asked Adam in the garden, did, did you eat that fruit that I told you not to eat? He knows the answer. Right? Why? Why do they ask? Why does Jesus ask questions he already knows the answer to? It's not for his own knowledge, right? I think that the answer is because he wants people to acknowledge the truth about themselves. He wants them to stop hiding behind their masks and own up to reality. Because here's the thing: masks cannot love people, right? Illusions, false selves cannot reach people. Because they're just that, they're illusions. And then in verses 15 to 17, Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Do you love me? Right. Now, some of you have studied this passage before and you know, you, you kind of intuit that there is a hidden parallel going on here. Uh, because just a few days, maybe a few weeks before this scene Peter had been in the courtyard of the high priest while Jesus was in prison and on trial. And, and Peter had been asked, Peter's asked three times, do you know Jesus? Do you know this man? And, 
And what does he say? Three times he denied Jesus, denied knowing him. And you see what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's getting to the core of who Peter is. Peter wants to be this fired up, sold out disciple, ready to do anything for Jesus. But before he can do that, he has to acknowledge that he's a failure, that he's a coward. And, and by calling out Peter's true identity, Jesus is, in a sense, he is restoring Peter. He's, he's saying, I know you for who you are, and I love you anyway. He's restoring him because broken people love better than fake people, don't they? And Jesus says, even if you're broken, that's good. It's a good thing. But it's just so hard to let people see our true selves, isn't it? We're so afraid they're going to reject us. And yet, I, isn't it true that we really are drawn to people who are really authentic? Right? Some of my favorite people are just the most authentic people. I mean, even uh, people like Eugene Peterson and Anne Lamott and Nelson Mandela, just very authentic people. And we're just drawn to them. And yet, God has to constantly remind us, destroy your false self. Be who you are. To love people well, we need to destroy our false self. The second thing we need to do is we need to invest in other people's future selves. Um, see, notice Jesus does not hold Peter's sin over his head. Right? He acknowledges it. He, he needs Peter to acknowledge it. And then he subtly forgives it. And he moves, he, he urges Peter to move on and to move forward. Right? So to, to love people in the church is, is not just to see their present self, but also to envision and to invest in their future self. And this means a lot of times moving past their weaknesses and their sins. Now, notice I didn't say excuse their sin, right? Sometimes we have to deal with other people's sin, and as we do with our own. Um, and we have to recognize it, but, but as we do, we need to hold out a vision of what someone can be uh, through God's work. Um, about... That was a year, two years ago, two summers ago, uh, our youth pastor, Ross, was hiring some interns for the youth ministry. And, uh, and so he brought in this young man who's a college student named Mark. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, my first impression of Mark was, sounds bad, but it's basically, you know, what hay wagon did he fall off of? Uh, I'm horrible, I know. Um, just kind of goofy, uh, easily excitable, and unsophisticated, and I just seemed immature. I just thought, ah, is this a mistake? But Mark turned out to be one of the best interns we have ever had. He, he loved those kids, and they loved him back. He was a great support to Ross and to our whole staff. He was teachable and willing to do anything. And I had completely misjudged him. 
and he grew a ton. You know, there's, there's that age-old question that people ask, do, do people really change? Can people really change? And, and a lot of people answer that question, no, people don't really change. But Jesus isn't one of those cynics, right? Jesus believes in change because he knows the change agent, the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the, the same Spirit who helped create the world, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in us, in God's people, and can change us and is changing us day by day. Sometimes it's hard to see. And it is so easy to give up on people, right? It's so easy then to label them with their current behavior. Ah, she's just a, uh, an insecure gossip. Ah, he's just an angry malcontent. Jesus doesn't let us do that. And have, you, have you ever noticed that the first attribute given in the, the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, what is it? Love is patient. I love that. Love is patient. Love is kind. And, the, and all these attributes ends up with love is bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. As we look at each other and try to love each other, we, we need to learn to hope and to invest in our future selves, what we can become. Um, third thing, to love people well, we need to be fueled by a love that's really independent from this other person. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. I, I think the problem with relationships often is not that we don't know how to love people, right? We can do things that are, are loving towards people. I think the problem with relationships is, is often when we don't get loved back the way that we think we deserve or w- that we were expecting, right? Um, when I lived here and ministered here, I, was, um, I got into a mentoring relationship with a college student. And uh, for about two years, we'd meet regularly, and I, I helped walk him through a, a really messy breakup with a girlfriend, uh, some really hard family stuff, through a lot of talk about vocational things, what is he going to do after he graduates, and, and then I moved to Tulsa, and he ended up moving to Tulsa, and started coming to the church, and uh, we, we got together a few times again, but then he kind of dropped off, and, and I didn't see him for six, eight weeks, text, text him, you okay, yeah, I'm doing great, but then I heard Somebody told me, oh, he's going to another church. Now, I was kind of hurt and upset, not because he was going to another church. It was closer to his house. A lot of his friends were there. I was hurt because he didn't talk to me about it, right? It's like my investment didn't matter. That hurt. And I know a lot of you have felt that as well. And if you haven't, Stay in the church long enough, it's going to happen, right? We're going to let each other down. Jesus here is preparing Peter to do great ministry, right? Read the book of Acts. Peter rises up as a great leader in the church. 
But he also knows that Peter needs to be motivated by something deeper than people's love and approval of him, right? Because again, you read Acts, you see he's, he's going to get arrested. He's going to get beaten, thrown in prison, slandered, rejected. And, and if Peter is operating out of people's love for him, he's, he's never going to make it, right? He's going to quit after a year. And so Jesus calls him. To, to rest in his love, to bathe in his love, right? The, the essence of Jesus' words there. Not only does he say, I love the wording, do you love me? The first time he asks it, do you love me more than these? That's interesting. You know, it's, it's not that Jesus is jealous of the other disciples. I want to make sure I'm your best friend. Right? Jesus knows that his love has to be primary for Peter to be able to love people well. Um, and it's the same for us. We have to be rooted in a deeper love and an unfailing source. We sing that song, Oh, love that will not let me go. Um, and even Jesus did this, didn't he? When life got tough, when ministry got hard, he left. He left the crowds. He left his friends, his disciples. He got off on his own to be alone with God the Father, to be renewed in the Father's love. We have to be close to Jesus. Jesus doesn't stop loving Peter when Peter fails. He shows up at that end of that long night of fishing and says, try one more time but with my help this time, right? No matter how far you have drifted away, no matter how long the night has been, no matter how empty your hands are, Jesus, you will always find Jesus waiting at the shore of your failure. You can count on him. And notice again the, the order of Jesus' words. He doesn't say, you know, if you will go feed my sheep, then I'll love you. doesn't say that, does he? He says, Peter, do you love me? And by implication, I love you. Now, go feed my sheep. Out of the overflow of that love, out of the rooting and grounding of my love, you'll be equipped. That's the question he asks us. I think, do you love me? Is Christian ministry about Jesus and his love, or is it about something else? That's one of the questions I've been meditating on as I've, I've gone through this sabbatical. Um, looking back at the last 20 years of ministry, have I, how have I made ministry about something different than Jesus and his love? When have I made it about just impressing people? When have I made it about just making enough money to be able to pay the, the staff and keep the lights on? Which is important, right? But when have I made it about my reputation rather than at the center of it being about Jesus and his love? Do you love me, 
feed my sheep. And when they fail and you fail, come back. And we'll renew our love. Do you love me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though this road is hard, though the ministry of reconciliation is heartbreaking, and we're so tempted to give up, Father, we're just grateful that you are always in our corner, that you are always there to help us pick up the pieces to remind us that we are loved, that in Jesus we are your beloved sons and daughters in whom you are well pleased, that we can confess our sins freely, that we can, can, we can forgive others freely, and that we can walk forward rooted and grounded in your love for us. Father, help us to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.